Good morning, dear saints and blessed epiphany. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. Today is Wednesday, January 31st, and you're listening to the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Today, we pick up where we left off last time with Lamentations chapter 3, verses 25 through 66, the end of the chapter. These verses begin with a declaration of hope in the Lord, emphasizing that good comes to those who wait for him and seek him. Boy, that was necessary after the discussions yesterday. It was very negative, but that's that's the consequences of our sin. But yet, look, there's hope. Well, our passage today will then shift to a personal reflection of suffering and it'll underscore Jeremiah's anguish and despair, but it still maintains that sense of hope and trust in God's ultimate justice. This part of Lamentations is a reminder of the enduring human struggle between despair and hope and injustice and the yearning for God's intervention. It captures the essence of a soul in turmoil, yet steadfast in faith, waiting for the redemption of God. Whether it's over the air, online at kfuo.org or as a podcast, no matter how you're joining us today, thank you so much for tuning in. You're the reason we're here. So settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is graciously supported in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about them at lhfmissions.org. LHF translates, publishes, and distributes books that are Bible-based, Christ-centered, and Reformation-driven. Again, that address is lhfmissions, plural, dot org. If you have any questions or comments about today's show, or maybe you just want to say hi, you can email me, pastorboo at gmail.com. I get emails all the time. Uh, maybe I'd get a few more if I'd spell it out. <laughs> Sometimes people take a couple times to get it right. It's P-A-S-T-O-R. B-O-O-E at gmail.com. I love hearing from you and, and how Thy Strong Word is a part of your devotional life. You can also find me on Facebook. Just search for Phil Boo. And you can even call in if you want. 1-800-730-2727. It's absolutely free. doesn't hurt at all. People who answer the phone, super nice. All right. Joining us this morning is the Reverend David Duke. He's the pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in New Fane, New York, and St. John's Lutheran Church in Youngtown, New York. At least he was the last time I talked to him. Brother, welcome back to the show. <laughs> yes, it's good to be with you. Good morning here from uh, the East uh, Eastern uh, time zone and oh, to sure. all your listeners. It's great. We have the sun shining for once here. Uh, all the snow has melted. We had two feet of snow. Uh, you may have heard on the news, uh, those people who live nearby had six or seven feet of snow, but wow. it's all gone. We've had some lovely, warm weather, uh, a lot of fog because of the snow. Uh, but now we've got sunshine. The kids are outside frolicking. It's a great day for us here. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You know, it is for us too here in Southwest Minnesota. I mean, we're, it's 36, but you know, it's, it's no, not windy. So I can, I'm walking around with short sleeves. So I love it. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't want, <laughs> I wouldn't want six feet of snow though. Like what you guys have, my goodness, we don't have anything like that. In fact, this is supposed to be the warmest winter on record for us, but maybe not for you guys. I don't think it's going to qualify this year. No, <laughs> it's pretty good, uh, pretty good stuff. Yeah. Well, I always love having you on because you are a wealth of knowledge and application. And I, that's what we're having to draw out of Lamentations. You know, I sort of half jokingly talked about how negative it was yesterday, but Lamentations is a dirge. It's a lament. I mean, it is negative, but isn't that 
the human experience. Not everything in life is, you know, sunshine and roses. Sometimes life is, well, worth lamenting, but we never lose our focus on who's in charge. That's right. And that's an important part of the entire thing. Uh, Jeremiah, you probably have have uh, done this on a number of occasions now, but it, he's writing this uh, and Jerusalem is literally on fire. His home is burning down and you don't rejoice in that. Uh, you look to God and ask, well, why are you doing this? And there's an answer. Well, a lot of sin. And then you develop a, a relationship with God from there on that basis, which is a little different uh, than we might be used to in other uh, passages of the Bible, especially the poetic passages. Oh, of course. And and knowing a little bit about how that poetry works is helpful, too. Well, we're going to get into all of that, but I think we should start our time together in prayer. Would you uh, lead us in that prayer, please? Sure. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, you have revealed yourself as a gracious God to us and that when you are angry with us, it is in Christ, which means that your anger turns aside after a moment and you raise us. Uh, even though you break us down, you fix us and raise us up and then make us shine that in us, you are a gracious God through it all. And in Jesus' name, who rose from the dead and lives with you, in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So our section from last time, really, uh, some scholars have broken this up into three or four sections. I, that's probably pretty nebulous, but we ended with verse 24. We ended with uh, this part of the, what is it, the acrostic triad. All right, here, I'm going to read 23, <laughs> 22, 23, and 24. Here we go. The steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. That's kind of the context, the immediate context, where we're going to pick up here in a moment with the Lord is good to those who wait for him. But I want to give you an opportunity. Anything you want to share with the folks to lay the foundation for our discussion today? Yeah, um, I wanted to, and I, and I communicated with you just a little bit before we started here that I wanted to make sure that we were saying the name of God uh, as it's given to us in the Old Testament, and that's Yahweh. And you just did. And it delights me as the, the uh, ad, uh, adjunct uh, Old Testament professor at the Concordia uh, Lutheran Theological Seminary in St. Catharines, Ontario, if you're looking for something to do in the Northeast and become a pastor, why think about uh, Ontario, Canada? There's a little advertisement for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we want to say Yahweh here because there's a lovely contrast, as you'll hear throughout the rest of the passage, between Yahweh and Lord. And it's an important distinction to make because we're going to be talking about who's in charge, as you said earlier, and we need to know his name. But the tradition of translating Yahweh as all caps Lord will obscure that. So we'll listen for that. And then we're going to, I mean, I, it, the Lamentations is a prime example of this. We're going to talk about it more today. The notion, the theological locus of um, uh, theodicy, that is suffering in the Lord. So I thought uh, those are a couple of things to prep us to listen. Absolutely. I mean, theodicy, which is this idea of the way I like to explain it is it's trying to get God off the hook, right? We, we're always, yeah. God doesn't need our defenses. And yet we're always trying to defend him 
But maybe more accurately, we're always trying to defend our belief in him because there are so many people out there who are antagonistic to the faith. And they want to point out suffering as this like grand got you on how a loving God couldn't exist. And so whenever suffering occurs, we fall into their trap of saying, oh, well, well, uh, God had nothing to do with this. Well, then you don't have much of a God then. And if that were true, they'd be right. But that's not true. That's not how it works. That's right. That's absolutely right. And uh, I think it was uh, the burning of Jerusalem has uh, easy, well, not easy, but it has some pretty uh, significant applications in American context, North American context, and, and uh, throughout the world. But I imagine uh, the Anglosphere here is <laughs> concentrated in the uh, North American context. We'll see how sure. it really does apply to us. Well, let's read some of these verses, get them under our belt, starting now with verse 25. Yahweh is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of Yahweh. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust that there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. All right, that's through 33. So that's three uh, little uh, stanzas, so to speak, of this poem. And yeah, I've already noticed here we have it begins with Yahweh is good. And then later it mentions salvation of Yahweh. And then 31, it says, for the Lord will not cast off forever. That's right. That's who who is doing this, right? Who is doing this? Well, he has a name. His name is Yahweh. And in, in, the, in the important kind of like the original context, if you can say that, Yahweh is the God of Israel, which you could actually locate on a map. Uh, that's not true now. The Israel that's there now is not the same as the Israel that I exists uh, then, nor is it the thing that we would call Israel now, which is the church, which Christ has won for himself. So the Christian church is Israel. And that's your first that's your first kind of shift from uh, the ancient context to the today context. So we're talking about Christians. However, Back yonder in those days, it was well known that Yahweh was the God that the Israelites called on, as opposed to the God that the other peoples around called upon. So he has a name. Who did this? His name is Yahweh. Well, what exactly is this Yahweh? Well, this Yahweh is Lord. And that's what we say in uh, one of our most important confessions. I believe that Jesus Christ, who was uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, true God, born of the Virgin Mary, true man, is my Lord. And what does that mean? You know, from there, you, your whole life is ordered. Well, I'm here to live in his kingdom. So Jesus is the name of my God, and he is my Lord. And so we call him Lord Jesus. We call him Jesus the Christ and all sorts of things to make sure we have his name and the title together. So not only do we know who it is, we know what it is. And, you know, when, when you know what he is and you say, well, he is the Lord, then you can begin to understand why 
this is happening? Why is this evil thing happening? And then uh, just to kind of keep keep going here, shifting right into it, is that uh, there's a question. Why, mm-hmm. if this is a gracious God, and he, from the beginning, has always revealed himself as a gracious God, why are we suffering like we are suffering? Um, so like it says, um, uh, he, though he cause grief, that is a real problem in our parishes. And it's a, well, it's a problem for me. I don't want to be somehow arrogant and condescending. I know all the answers and I never question this, <laughs> but it's, it's, you, God is Lord of all and he himself has caused grief. So when you think about it from, a, uh, you know, why did How did it come to pass, this question here, like, how did it come to pass that my father would just suddenly die? And it was so hard and horrible. It was hard on my mother. It was hard on us. Why did that happen? Well, the devil did it, or it it was just the nature of life or something like that. Well, no, no, no. God doesn't want you to think that at all. He doesn't want you to think the devil did that. He doesn't want you to think it's just natural. He wants you to know that he did that. He caused grief. And it always comes in this language, always. For though he caused grief, he will have compassion. So there's that quick shift from he's the one who causes the grief and he's the one who has compassion. He's the one who kills and he's the one who makes alive. He's the one who tears down and he's the one who builds back up again. So the nature of God uh, is twofold, but it always starts with the negative. That's the way he reveals himself. First, he's the guy who causes grief, but it's immediately followed with the the uh, the uh, instantaneous almost like without a, without a hesitation. And he's the one who's going to uh, have compassion. He has restoration. He has life. And that's the one that ends the thing. Life everlasting, compassion everlasting, grace everlasting, as opposed to his anger, which is just for a short little outburst. But he can't stay mad at you. He loves you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but could you could you imagine what – well, I mean we can. But can you imagine where are people finding comfort if they think that Satan or anything else in heaven on earth or under the earth has the ability to override God's will, like, you know, like as if God had no say or, or you know, and I like to talk about it this way and, and correct me if I, maybe I'm not nuancing it good, but there are things that God causes to happen and there's plenty of things that God allows to happen, but all of it's in his control. Is that mm-hmm. fair to say? I think so. The allow word, like I think we have it. Uh, I think in, there's a formal prayer we have in our in our, and it's a wonderful phrasing of it. Uh, it says, uh, "Your fatherly will," and so it covers both of those, like the things he does, like actively, like I'm doing this now, and then the things he allows, because we do have in our in our theology the notion that evil people and uh, evil uh, powers, we would say Satan. Uh, do stuff thinking that they're in charge. Like I, I firmly believe that uh, Satan thought that the world was his because he kind of told Jesus so. It's mine. Uh, it was given to me. He he actually thinks he's the Lord of the earth, uh, you know, of our, of our realm. And, um, and he acts according to his own pleasure, but he's not free like he thinks he is. He's acting according to the will of God. Um, and so we say allow but maybe fatherly will is a better way to put it. I don't know. I you know yeah. you said maybe I don't nuance it right. Well, who am I? Who am I to tell you how to nuance it? Because it's an almost an impossible doctrine, and it's a real That's teaching, fair. right? It, 
it's an impossible doctrine to really wrap your head around. You have to work at it and you have to endure it. I think you have to go through it. Why is this happening to me? Very individual. And then, of course, why is this happening to us? And you have to talk about it and work it out. I think the reason why I might use that allows is sort of a uh, a mini theodicy. I don't want to be accused of theodicy, right? But <laughs> but I mean, I have to be honest. In a sense, it is because I, I don't want people jumping to conclusions when there is no evidence for it. So like we have here in Lamentations from God himself, I'm causing the destruction of Jerusalem. Yeah. But when hurricanes hit or planes hit towers, you have so many out there saying, a, either God had nothing to do with it, or B, God is judging us for X, Y, and Z. And that's not that's, that's right. not our place to say it either. So that's why I kind of punt, to be fair, and say, well, certainly he's allowing it. And if it is his intention to discipline us in some way, well, aside from just sin in general, he's not revealed that to us and won't. Uh, absolutely. That's, I think that's, a, and that's a good punt, I think. that's uh, That makes you a good pastor. <laughs> Because you, you're right. You can't say that because the, you, you end up falling off the horse on the other side. So you say, well, Satan did it. Well, no, Satan didn't do this. Not a, not sort of randomly without God knowing, like accidental. Uh, you know, God was, uh, you know, watching TV or something and he didn't he didn't notice that Satan was up to no good. No, he, he's he's still in charge of the hurricane. But, yeah, the hurricane to us from our perspective is completely random. That is different from the destruction of Jerusalem. So take one that caused a little a little bit of uh, discomfort in our culture, and that is the pandemic. Uh, there was this disease, and it was uh, the the world was turned upside down. Well, we know who's responsible because God takes responsibility for everything, but we don't. He didn't tell us why. The only why we actually have is you should be seeking me. Right. Look to me and I will have mercy on you uh, instead of like, well, uh, for Christians, especially the temptation is to look to the government or something like that and and uh, and uh, wonder what they're doing to fix this thing. When Christians are really called to say, well, God brought this upon the earth. It's a call to repentance in general, not for specific things. Right. I, rem- I, I think you might be referring to the. One of the bad hurricanes that hit Louisiana, and we had some Christians yes. who said, well, it was because of certain bad behavior. It's like, well, no. <laughs> and no. yet in Vegas never gets hit by hurricanes, right? <laughs> right. Vegas never gets hit by hurricanes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, now, one thing that's always – you know, this even came up. I have Proverbs class um, on uh, Wednesday mornings with my people, and and – Verse 26 sort of came up today talking about living a quiet life. In this case, it's about waiting quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Micah in chapter 7 says, But as for me, I will look to Yahweh. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And here Jeremiah is saying, It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of Yahweh. I, I, Help us understand that. Like, is this sort of just sit around and do nothing until till God does something? <laughs> or, or how do we understand? What's that look like on the ground? <laughs> well, this is one I'm not particularly good at myself because when I suffer, I'm yelling. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I I'm I letting you. God know. And I think that, that there's – there's um, yeah, you, you have to take a step back and, and be a little more circumspect. Like, okay – what are we actually talking about when we say wait and salvation of Yahweh? When we're suffering, we are commanded to pray. 
praise without ceasing the uh the the uh what is the uh, the parable of the widow who uh just when the unjust judge who right, just won't stop widow. pestering him yeah and god god likens himself to an unjust judge which is a real challenge right uh if 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 this is the case then why should you you know god is good why should you ever stop praying why should you ever stop making noise i think here what we're talking about is in suffering we wait quietly not not praying right we should still remain praying and loud and banging the clanging and i'm i'm here lord don't you see me i'm hurting but it it's it's that this suffering is wrapped up uh and it's uh more like this the suffering is wrapping around a basic trust that god is a saving god and he does save that yahweh jesus saves us from suffering and the quietness is really for me. Like I'm supposed to make noise so that God hears. He's commanded me to make sure that there's a faith, there's a faith relationship that's open, like the channel's open. But it's also for my own soul that, you know, God has made these promises and I trust him. He will. And I'm going to wait quietly within myself, enduring this suffering. And more than that, I'm going to talk about myself waiting quietly so that when salvation does come, I can say, see, I was right. We waited for him. There's another salvation, uh, another uh, waiting thing uh, passage. We waited for him and he is our God. Look at that. See, we were right after all. We waited quietly, although we yapped the whole time, kind of like I'm doing right now. <laughs> well, there's always this like balance between, you know, Trusting and knowing that God knows your needs and, and he already knows um, what you need before you even ask it and obeying the command to ask it. Anyway, uh, I, I often talk about prayer being, I think, mostly for us, for ourselves. Um, it's not that God doesn't know what you need, but that it's a helpful uh, exercise by which we stay in touch with the one from whom all good things flow. But it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it's laid upon him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. Um, just as with yesterday, I, I, I don't know if it's the Lutheran in me or the Christian in me, but boy, I'm, I'm thinking of Jesus. You know, yeah, it sounds like Jesus. Absolutely. And that's the center of all scriptures is, uh, you know, we talk about baptism uh, and, it, and these are important doctrines to help with our theology, which is to say our life in God. And the doctrine of baptism is clear. You are baptized in his death and in his resurrection. For as much as we, we participate in a death like his, how much more are we going to participate in a resurrection like his? And in between now and then, we are raised to newness of life. And that's in there, too. So here's the baptism into his death. This is Christ and anyone who participates in it. It is good for a man, for anyone really, that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence. What Didn't he do that? And didn't he give us an example of accepting it in silence uh, when we saw him not speak? And also, didn't we see him accept it quietly in the, the, the anxiety that he had? And it's the, it's, uh, it sounds like a... Um, a contradiction, but it's no, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's suffering already and he's anxious to, to the point of death. 
and he's praying to God in quietude because that is pure trust. When he says, not my will, will, but your will be done, right? And then we pray that in the prayer that he gave us, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So yeah, here is here he is in every almost every sense. It's almost uh, uh you want to you know you want to be careful with it because it looks well. That's a picture of Jesus right there. Yes, it is. It's a picture of Jesus and every suffering believer. That's what it is. Let him sit alone in silence when it's laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Let him give his cheek the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. Is that not Monday Thursday Good Friday? Right. I mean, right. Exactly. In, but it, but, we could be but reading from Lamentations as much as yeah, the Psalms. Abso- absolutely. And it's and it's what's offensive about Christianity is that it literally fulfills stuff that's supposed to be just figurative. No, Jesus, no, you, you Christians, you, Jesus, oh. And they, the, the people who hate us or really don't understand us both, we'll say both, both the people who are not hateful but don't understand Christianity and people who hate Christianities hate this kind of stuff. Where you look at the picture and go, well, that's Jesus on Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. And they say, no, 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 this is this is figurative. This is about suffering in general in a religious sense. And we say no. And I and like I just did, baptism puts us in Christ who actually literally fulfills this poetic uh, picture well, with his person, you know, and- with his body. This this thought just popped into my head. So, you know, forgive it if it's wild. But I'm thinking God has almost set it up such. That the more people persecute Christians for our faith, the more his will is fulfilled. And and it's like, I'm going to go and attack Christians because I don't like what they have to say. And the more they do, the more that we share in the sufferings of Christ, which points us to the suffering that brings us, of course, freedom from eternal suffering. (laughs) I'll just, 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 it's it's almost like God uh, knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, what's Go ahead. Like the revelation uh, theology, there's the the ones who overcome, right? And how do you overcome? Well, by dying, by being destroyed. And it's a very, very strange way of, of seeing the, the saints who stand on the sea of glass mixed with fire. They're praising God while they're being destroyed because they're conquerors. <laughs> they're, they're conquerors by being conquered. It's, uh, it's exactly that. That's exactly right. That the more we, the more we suffer and the more we suffer, like, persecution which is important it's the, the suffering in your body because you're a sinful person and you're marked for, for death uh because you're a child of Adam and Eve that's true suffering and and a Christian suffers that way uh in the hope of this a lamentation but also it's also important to remember that there is the persecution kind of suffering uh right. other people making you suffer because you believe in Jesus uh that kind of suffering actually um, creates more glory. God is glorified even more so because people hurt you. I could imagine the first groups of martyrs, of course, of course, Stephen, but even others, and just how confused their persecutors were. You know, turn away, stop this, or we'll kill you. And essentially, not to simplify it, they go, yeah, "That's all right." <laughs> I mean, you yeah. know, I get go to ahead. be with the Lord. <laughs> Yeah, you know that's how much I believe. But I tell you what, this is actually a good place to take a pause. So, folks, don't go anywhere. Just a few moments when we return from our break, Pastor Duke and I will keep on talking. We'll see you on the other side.
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today, it's the Reverend David Duke. He's the pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Newfane, New York, and St. John's Lutheran Church in Youngtown, New York. Don't forget, folks, you can reach out at PastorBoo at gmail.com on Facebook with your questions, comments, or more, but you can also call in 1-800-730-2727. Okay, getting right back into the text because we have so much to cover. I'm just going to hop right into verse 34. To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to Yahweh. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. I'm going to pause right there because it keeps on going like that. But uh, I think yeah. in the title of this episode, you have made us scum and garbage. That should uh, that should be enticing <laughs> enough. So <laughs> yeah, that'll, that's a clickbait right there. Yeah, there you go. Oh, my. But, so let's talk about this, though. I mean, it's interesting to crush underfoot all the prisoners, to deny man justice. The Lord doesn't like that. But then it kind of gets down to, but the Lord has, you know, punished us. He's not forgiving us. He's keeping his prayers, our prayers from him. Uh, okay, I guess unpack that for us. Well, okay, that's pretty good. See, I really struggle with that too. Uh, it's abrupt. 34 comes abruptly after 33. It says, he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. And then you start, and I'm going to do a little language here. Uh, he starts with a, a string of infinitives, to crush underfoot, to deny, to subvert. Those are the subjects uh, of something, right? And, uh, and well, in fact, they're just like... Uh, uh, concepts, you know, that, okay, this picture, to crush underfoot, to deny a man, to subvert a man, the Lord does not approve. And it took me, I don't know if this is in the commentaries or whatever have you, but the way I'm kind of doing this is what Jeremiah is doing is setting up the character of God. God does not do this. He does not approve of this. But it's actually happening right now, and the Lord is doing it. So it's, again, that contradictory thing. And, we, we, you know, we call it like, well, uh, you can call it and I'm sort of inventing terms for myself uh, just to make peace with it or to cope with this is like you have justice and justice comes from God and justice uh, punishes evildoers. 
evildoers get justice. It's not, you know, you don't want to be on that end of justice. And in fact, you are on that end of justice because you deserve it. That's the justice part of God that is part of his nature. Uh, but it's the, the part that God himself doesn't like. And it's the part that uh, it's the part that uh, uh, fights the the gracious stuff where uh, afflicting from his heart is is uh, it's something he doesn't do. So he's crushing underfoot. He's denying justice and he's subverting this lawsuit in order to serve his gracious nature. So all this stuff is happening that he just said, who is uh, – and there, there again, you have the whole notion that God did this, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it and he, he can do it because he's the Lord, the most high. Why should a living man complain? Let us test and examine our ways and return to, the, to, to Yahweh. Why is this happening? Well, let's look at us. Maybe we're being denied. Maybe in this injustice is actually justice serving grace. And when we go to God with trust, we know that he is going to forgive us, even though he has not forgiven us. And remember, this is all momentary uh, in, in, the, in the mind of Jeremiah. It's not just a second or two because literally his home is on fire, you know, in the entire city and people are dying and being killed uh, for the sin of you know, and the generations of sins. Uh, but in, in terms of the, the heavenly realm, as it enters our world, this injustice, so to speak, is momentary. And, it, and it's, for us to, uh, it's for us to, within faith, to look at it as momentary, knowing that the true nature of God is forgiveness and is life. It is not death. It is not... Uh, it is not uh, – what is it again? Crushing underfoot, denying justice, and subverting the lawsuit. And by the way, just to finish this off and put a little nice little bow on it, I really like the way you said a man. So that's in 39. Uh, it caught my eye when I was, was studying. Why should a living man complain a man about right. the punishment of his sins? And it's uh, – I looked it up uh, to see what was under there, and it's kind of like – um, a man like a warrior, and it, it doesn't mean to say battle man, but it's just sort of like, you know, men, tough guy. You really, it's a little sarcastic. Why should a living man complain, you tough guy, about the punishment of his sins? Are you a tough guy or not? You know, are you going to take this or not? Can you handle this or not? And he's really kind of calling us out. Like, look, you know, like we started off there, it's good for you. It's good for you to suffer injustice for a while because, you know, you trust God, don't you? Are you going to keep complaining or are you going to whine like a little, you know, like a little baby? I don't know if that's that's uh, not allowed anymore. But like, you know, we used to call each other babies. <laughs> you know, would you stop crying like a baby? And I don't know if that does that insult babies. <laughs> but I, there's I, a yeah. little bad in there. There's <laughs> a little bit in there that you're. Yeah, you're suffering injustice. And, and St. Peter picks up on this. Is it? And so, so does St. Paul. Is it too much for you? To do without for a little while that you can't wait till the resurrection because, you know, that's forever, right? There's a little bit of that in here. Why should a living man, uh, a man about the punishment of his sins? Would you grow up? That kind of thing. Well, isn't it, uh, I think, 1 Corinthians 16, you know, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, be a man. 
it says yeah. that. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's an aspect of it, too. Uh, another aspect I also get from this is a little um, Jobian. Is that a word? But anyway, I get oh, kind definitely. of a where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? So there's also sort of this aspect of, yeah, it's only injustice if you don't deserve it. Otherwise, it's just. <laughs> yeah, um, right, right, right. And we always think that we don't deserve it. Uh, now, in Christ, he's taken that on us. But this is this is pre-Christ. This is God setting up the reality that we deserve everything that should be coming to us. And really, it's only in Christ that we do get to experience freedom from like eternal death and eternal punishment. But until then, you know, um, I think there's a, there's a meme going around. There's a sign that says, you know, uh, that there is a, a reason for everything. And sometimes the reason is that you're dumb and you make bad decisions. Well, for <laughs> us, there's a reason for everything. And sometimes it's your sinful behavior. If you're not living yeah. the way God wants you to live, if you're fleeing from the fact that he is Lord, um, then then there are going to be consequences to that. And sometimes those consequences are God's discipline. Sometimes it's just the results of not doing as God knew that was best for you to do. Yeah, wisdom, right? Wisdom. And I think you, you made a really important uh, distinction right there. And I want to stop us for a second and glom onto it. And that is God no longer punishes. God punished us through Christ. Now he disciplines us. And those are different things. And you know it. You, you're hearing those words and you know the two things are different. Punishment is justice and it is merciless and it has no end. It's it is its end, right? Punishment and discipline is this is going to hurt you. Uh, but then, like a good parent, you know the old uh, saw: this is going to hurt me worse than it's going to hurt you. I don't want to do this, but you need to have it happen to you. That's discipline. So punishment is wrapped up and has its end in Christ. That's why he says it's finished. It has come to an end. the The punishment is done, uh, and my salvation is well. Uh, I almost went through a door we don't want to go through, <laughs> but the punishment is in Christ. Right. The discipline is uh, is finished in Christ. God punishes us through Christ. Now in Christ, we are disciplined like children, and it's it's okay, right? And that's kind of what he's saying. Come on, this is you need this, and now you'll know better, won't you? Well, he says in 45, and this is another aspect, right? Because he says, you have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. And I'm going to keep reading in a second. But part of this also is from Jeremiah's experience. As he's mm -hmm. experiencing, not to be too you know, postmodern here, but as he's experiencing what's going on, that doesn't always match the reality of God. Now, yes, this is inspired, but we feel like God doesn't hear our prayers, although he does. We feel like he's treating us unjustly, even though it's quite just. Um, uh, and and in, through Christ, of course, we're grateful that he doesn't treat us the way we deserve. Uh, and, and then the 45 kind of flows into the rest. Um, and I'm going to read that now. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite. Until Yahweh from heaven looks down and sees my eyes, cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I uh, kind of ran that together a little bit. But anyway, that's the end of verse 51. So, yeah. yeah, so all the people are mocking us, Lord. Our enemies, 
whom God has sent in this particular case. Uh, they're carting mm-hmm. us off. They laugh at us. Um, and this is going to keep happening until you look down and see. Right. And that uh, this, again, is God setting things up to glorify himself more so that uh, not only is he the God of justice who can move the nations and uh, give the victory to our enemies, but he can turn that victory of the enemy and the destruction of his own people into a great victory for himself and the restoration. And we see it in not in the lifetime of Jeremiah, I don't think. But we see it uh, only a generation or two down the road with the restoration of Jerusalem. And then we have it and we have it in our liturgy. We have it in one of the most wonderful stories in the Bible, the restoration, the defiance of evil, the defiance of the nations. When uh, Jesus enters the temple and Simeon holds him in his hands, my eyes have seen the salvation that you've prepared, a light to lighten the Gentiles. And that's all the nations. And the glory of your people, Israel, you know, and even Jesus says salvation comes from the Jews, but it's for all the nations. It's it's for everyone. And that's that's how God gets glory. He brings all the enemies in and he kind of mashes it all together in one horrible devastation and destruction. And then he turns it into the resurrection of Jesus. And everyone who wants a piece of that uh, gets it. it. All you have to do is call. Say, hey, I would like this. And uh, God gives it to you free, absolutely free for people who hate and people who love and people who have always been on the team and people who just joined yesterday. It's it's a, a life everlasting uh, out of destruction. Let's add some more verses. 52. I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head, and I said, I am lost. I called on your name, O Yahweh, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called upon you, and you said, Do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Yahweh. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Yahweh, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold their sitting and their rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Yahweh, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them. From under your heavens, O Yahweh. And that's how this section of the poem comes to an end. Uh, yeah, so, all right. Mm-hmm. So now we, yeah. uh, we how have lovely. This, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of wish, I, let's go back to the, you know, the mercies of the Lord never end. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like this, he just, he heard me speak and then he's just, he contradicted me. But yeah, go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but that's the thing is, is we, the way we experience life, there are those who are set up against us. Now, yeah. you know, the New Testament clearly talks about how, you know, we'll suffer for Christ's sake. But, of course, we don't want to go out there looking for suffering because if you suffer because you're a sinner or you're a jerk or you're a criminal, well, then you know, that's what you get. But but there are those and plenty of us and increasing more in our culture than I know we would like those who are dead set opposed to us and are trying to uh, and trying to, I guess, 
uh, uh, get in the way of the Lord's work. But but even then, maybe it's back to the waiting quietly. I don't know. How do we respond? Well, it, it kind of is because wrapped up in all of this is still that basic trust that you, you're not crying out in despair, uh, a, to, a, a totality of despair. Otherwise, you know, there's no use. Why even bother crying out? Uh, you're crying out because you you trust God. You actually believe that he's going to help you bec- uh, because he promised to. You believe his promises. And so uh, you hear this. I think one of the I think one of the uh, uh, benefits of this outcry isn't just to sort of stand back and look at it from a distance, but to, is to actually get near it and think of it uh, in a participatory way, like you are participating in it. And think about your own times when uh, you were intensely forlorn, the intensity of suffering that you endured, either because of the way your body falls apart or something horrible happened in a relationship that you have or because someone hated you because you were Christian and caused you an intense amount of suffering of any sort, right? Uh, the, the I think what Jeremiah is trying to get across to us believers is that it can get a lot worse and it's still okay. There's a God who still reaches you. Like he says here, uh, I called on your name, O Yahweh. From the depths of the pit, and this is uh, there's an irony here because Jeremiah actually was lost in a pit for a few days until one of his friends heard about it and they had to he sunk down in the mud and had to pull him up out. But it became poetic for us because we think of our own suffering as being in the depths of the pit, and it becomes Christological. We have our Lord Jesus who cried just about the same thing when he says, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" Right? I am lost. And it's the depths of the pit when you're suffering eternal wrath on the cross. And that's the thing that we cannot comprehend, and I dare not make light of it. Uh, There it is, the depths of the pit, and he's still calling on God because he knows God will save him. And he knows it because God said so, and his word is true. Uh, And then again, here's that that wonderful immediacy of grace. I called upon uh, your name, O Yahweh, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. It, there's almost like no break. You heard me. I'm I'm abandoned. I'm lost. It's everything's horrible. Uh, they're 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 hunting me like a bird. They they don't. They, there's no 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 reason why they're hunting me like a bird. But you heard. I, I know you did. I knew you did. I knew it all along. And it's that that constant dual dual thing that goes on in the Christian. Where and I don't want to say saint and sinner because that's not the point. The point is the test of love, the test of trust, the test of faith, that God is is testing you and will test you and find your depths to see where you rank, uh, so to speak. Uh, it's a little bit harsh there. It's a little law oriented, but it's just like, uh, how is your vessel doing? How much can you handle? Don't worry. I'll bring you up if the thing starts to break down. You Don't worry about that. God doesn't give you more testing then you can endure. And and that's a that's a thing. Well, how much can you endure? I, I like to think I can't endure very much. So I tell God, I can't endure very much because <laughs> I don't want to go through what Jeremiah has gone through. Right. But what if God thinks that my vessel can endure a lot more than that? He's going to test me and then I'm going to say things like, I am lost. And well, you heard me, you redeemed my life. That thing. He yeah. knows though, he knows. He knows what we can handle. So the test is for us. 
Yes, so, so if, always. if I'm being tested and I think, listen, I have a low tolerance for pain and incomfort, you know, and so the the if the air conditioning goes out, I'm like, oh, Lord, you're putting me to the test. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. But then, you know, he kind of laughs and he goes, you see nothing yet. But the, the yeah. point is, you know, when you're in the midst of those trials and tests and you're calling out to the Lord and you're trusting that he's there, but he's just not answering. And you think I cannot get any lower. It cannot get any worse. It, I, I cannot be, uh, I cannot suffer any more than this. And then and when it, when you do come out of it and you look back on it and you now go, wow, I'm, I'm a little braver. I'm a little more confident in the Lord. I'm a little more willing to endure suffering because God has shown me that he's with me even in the midst of it. And so I Absolutely. think that's where those tests come in because I think people get confused. They go, well, and, and you said this, and I knew what you meant. Well, God's testing to see uh, how much you can bear. Well, that's not to say God doesn't know. It's for our benefit. Yeah, so that you know how much you can bear. And I think in in, in those terms, you have to kind of go the next step over because that's what this is all about. Everybody sees you. And you're suffering. And if you have enemies, they're laughing at you. And more than that, they're taking the opportunity of your weakness to pursue you, even though you can't fly away. And so when God does deliver you after enduring so much, it glorifies him even more. I'm, I'm coming to that, that as a theme of this whole section here. God is glorifying himself by making you suffer. That's the that's the answer to the reason why, because we've, it's been revealed to us. Why do I have to suffer in order for God to get glory for himself in you, in your body, in your, your uh, emotions, in your relationships? God is getting glory for himself. And that's good for you, by the way. But wait a minute, God Pastor, gets glory I, for himself. <laughs> wait a minute, Pastor. I want, I want to use God to get glory for me. I don't, I don't want to get glory for God. Right. I mean, isn't that right. kind of the human idea? Like I, I want to succeed. I want to call down God to have victory over my enemies. And, and, and what you're bringing up is so true. The Bible doesn't talk like that. It talks about getting glory for God, getting glory over the enemies of God through you. And yes, that is a benefit to us, but I think our sinful human nature doesn't like to acknowledge that. Now that's where the sinner comes in. That's right. That's the saint and sinner that, Man, I don't like God very much. That's the that's the sinner talking, right? I really actually don't like him very much because the way he wants to do this is just wrong. I, I don't understand why I have to suffer like I suffer. And like you can tell me about my sin all you want, but you keep saying this is a participation in Christ, and I really just don't like that. <laughs> you know, that's that's the sinner talking because this is how the 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 saint in Christ talks like, not my will, but thy will be done. And that's just contrary to our, our nature. So when we do suffer, we suffer by the power, suffer faithfully. Let me let me qualify that. When we suffer faithfully, we do suffer faithfully by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, uh, uh, faithful suffering is a gift from God. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, preach a sermon on that one there, preacher. You know, and I tell you, I, I just those because I, I tend to be very um, I, I, I want the scriptures to speak and I don't skip the hard stuff. You know, I, it's a discipline I've given to myself is like, well, boy, I'd really rather not do this one this week. And let's just sing Amazing Grace and be done with it. But when these come up, you have to go through them and you say you talk about things like, well, how is how is God actually bringing glory to himself by causing a gunman 
to shoot Christians. You know, there was that one in Oregon that sticks with me a long time ago now where he asked for Christians and they volunteered. And I said, you know, uh, I don't think that I could have volunteered. The only reason they volunteered was because the Holy Spirit was at work to create martyrs, witnesses to the resurrection. And I tell you, that created some problems in the parish. You know, I had I had a, a, a dear saint of God who just never understood. And she ended up leaving the congregation because of that. She couldn't understand. She kept saying to me, but God is good. And I kept saying, yes, look at his son. The, the suffering of Christ is your suffering. It's good. Uh, it, it just doesn't look like it on the outside. And it never registered. And I don't hold anything against her because it's hard. It, is. it, it really is. is hard to think of yourself as participating in something horrible. And you know what? The and again, I don't know her from anybody. But you know what? If she was in that situation – who knows if the Holy Spirit would have worked through her and done the same thing, right? It's not exactly. us to judge that, well, because she's struggling with it now, she's some sort of lack of faith. Because that's right. as you already clearly said, <laughs> a man, only the Holy Spirit can provoke someone who knows that by saying yes, they're going to end their life because the sinful person goes, oh, Lord, who can praise you from the pit? <laughs> I mean, if, <laughs> right. if, I'm dead, if I'm dead, man, how can I tell people about you? Um, but you know, the Lord works when and where he pleases and we're grateful yeah, for that. And, and he did, he created witnesses. And that's what a lot of this is about is, is, well, those people preferred to die than to deny that they were Christians. And it became a story that was told. Now, I don't know how, how widespread it was told, but it was told. And that is a wonderful witness to the power of the resurrection. How important it is that God raises the dead that I would trust him so much that I would raise my hand by the power of the Holy Spirit and say, I'm a Christian and be yeah. dead seconds later. You know, uh, that's that's a powerful, powerful witness. And that's a, a lot of what Jeremiah is saying here. Uh, and kind of to, to wrap it, uh, put a, uh, a wrapping on that part, too, because I said it's salvation is for all nations, even those who hate us. And here, of course, he corrects me and says, well, He's going to destroy them, but it's that's verse sixty-five where it says you give you will give them dullness of heart. That's one of the big problems about God too, that we don't understand how the salvation thing works. Why do some people come to faith, and why do some people not come to faith? Well, eventually, we learn from Pharaoh uh, and the Exodus, and we learn here that eventually it's the Pharaoh who hardened his heart. It's the people who hardened their heart against God, and God is Lord, you know, Yahweh, Jesus is Lord. And it, just because they hate Jesus doesn't mean he's not Lord anymore. Well, that's the curse that's upon them. It's on their own, it's on their own head, not the gracious God. It's the, the, the Lord who has to do it. You didn't trust me. You hated me. You destroyed me and you never repented. Well, brother, that's where we're going to have to leave it because we're at the end of our time together. So I'd <laughs> there's so much more we could talk about. I always love when you're on. Folks, I'd like to thank my guest. It's the Reverend David Duke. He's the pastor at Concordia Lutheran Church in Newfane, New York, also at St. John's Lutheran Church in Youngtown, New York. Brother, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, it was my pleasure. Sorry it's over. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, hopefully you'll come back sooner than later. It's been, I think, last time we were together, we were talking about Samuel. So, yeah, come back. Oh, come wow. Back. All right, folks, uh, tomorrow I'm joined by another excellent speaker, uh, the Reverend Brian Wolfmuller. Uh, we're going to tackle chapter four, which vividly describes the dire state of the city and its people. It talks about how the streets of Jerusalem, once bustling with the joyous laughter of children, are now silent and desolate. 
And you know what? There's some difficult de- depictions in this text, but we're going to we're going to get through it with our trust in the Lord. It's an undying lament for the loss of the city's glory, but it's also a poignant reminder of the consequences of turning away from God. Now, I also want to pitch this Friday because this is our first free text first Friday of the year. Uh, we didn't do one in January. So don't miss it because we're going to have the Reverend Dr. Joel Bierman, systematic theology professor from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. And the topic is a Christian approach to political discourse, or in other words, how to talk politics like a Christian, a timely study that I hope you'll join us for. That's this Friday. So anyway, that and more this week when we gather again around God's word. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.